SAFM 104 to 107 Lots going on around the country. First day back at school for a lot of people. First day at school for a lot of others. Um, and just, yeah, interesting to see how that all plans out. You may, it all pans out. You may be in a car. You may be, have put your children in the taxi and sort of hoping that they're, uh, get, that, you know, they're off and that they know where they're going and all the rest. You've sort of ironed the school uniform, all of those preparations. Your stories about that, please, 086-000-2032. There's a ruling in the High Court. I think it was yesterday. The Home Affairs Department cannot use a process that's become to be known as ID blocking. It prevents someone from getting their formal ID, their ID card. And as I understand it, if there's a problem with an application for an ID, if an official thinks that maybe the application is legitimate, someone's trying to commit fraud, they might block the application. So they try and protect the process by stopping the application. And that's where it gets blocked. Tundi Chauke is the manager of the Statelessness Unit at Lawyers for Human Rights. They brought this case. Tundi, good morning. Stephen. What was what does yesterday's ruling say? So Stephen, ID blocking is a process whereby Home Affairs uses a particular tool to monitor the integrity of the national population register. So when they block an ID, they basically place a marker against an ID in the national population register in the system. And the effect of having that marker is that you are blocked from using your ID for anything else. So not for voting, not for traveling. Um, your ID is basically rendered um, useless. And so in the last five years, Lawyers for Human Rights has seen at least 500 clients with this issue of ID blocking. Um, on top of the fact that basically they couldn't access other rights and services because the ID was blocked. We picked up a, a particular problem with the process in which this was also happening. Because it is an administrative action that the department was taking, they needed to give people prior notice before blocking the ID There needed to be a clear process in terms of how you can challenge the decision to have the ID blocked to appeal at ETC, and that wasn't happening. So there was a due process issue that we also picked up, and this is basically what what compelled us to approach the court for relief against this practice. The department's doing this for a reason, right? They're not just blocking Stephen's application because the minister thinks Stephen is irritating. There are people who <laughs> want South African IDs. They commit fraud to get them, and we have seen that. So if I were a home affairs official and I come across someone who looks a bit suspicious, maybe I don't think they are who they say they are, and I want to make sure, and I also probably have a, a duty somewhere to protect the process, I would think <laughs> blocking an application is the right thing, is the right response. That's true. So we we do agree that, of course, um, Home Affairs has genuine interest in keeping the population register sort of accurate and secure, and that there should be a mechanism to deal with fraud. But the problem is that they have been acting outside of what the law actually allows them to do. So the law already has provisions to deal with incidences of fraud, and what it advises or prescribes is that a fraud case has to be dealt with as a criminal case. And even under the criminal system, an accused person has the right to be informed of the charge against them, the right to legal representation, and even to challenge that. And they enjoy the presumption of um, innocence, right, until they are proven guilty. But with the blocked ID victim, it's almost as if you're already labeled guilty before homicide even begins an investigation. So that's also the problem with the process, that you, um, firstly, you rely on a suspicion that is not substantiated or communicated to the person, and then you treat that person as already guilty before you investigate, um, you know, the so-called suspicion. And this is what the court order is now prescribing, a process that follows what PAJA, um informs the department to do, which is to notify people, 
to give them proper reasons as to why you think there's something wrong with the ID before blocking it and to give them an opportunity to respond to those allegations before blocking the ID. The other thing, Stephen, is that the system is not a very sophisticated system and that it actually doesn't distinguish between the fourth star and the victim. So if an ID is blocked for suspected fraud, the victim also suffers. And that's the majority of cases Senator has seen are genuine South African citizens who cannot use their IDs because they've been flagged for fraud. But at the same time, the department doesn't have processes to ensure that, you know, they can speed up that process in a way that, um, you know, doesn't disproportionately um, have adverse impacts on the, on the victim. The other thing is some IDs are not blocked for fraud. Others are blocked for simple du- duplication. So, for instance, my first case involved twins whose ID number had been duplicated mm-hmm. by the official who captured their details. So it's not always for, it's for various reasons, but the system doesn't have that kind of sophistication to distinguish between cases. Um, Is it also about capacity? So if someone's ID is blocked, officials are looking at the application, they're doing an investigation, and if they could make a determination and get it all sorted out in a week, look, your ID is blocked, come back next Wednesday and it'll be sorted out by then, this wouldn't be such a big problem. But because the department doesn't have that capacity, it takes a long time. Is that in a way, perhaps the root of the problem. If they were able to fix these things in a week, it wouldn't be such a big mm. issue. I think um, it would still have to be with, with due process. They need to follow the law before they block, they block the ID. But you're right to say that even once they've blocked, once they begin investigations, it's only in the best interest of both the department and the people that are affected that it's resolved quickly. Because what we do find is that the department will say that, you know, this takes a turnaround time of six to eight weeks. But in our cases, some people's IDs have been blocked as far back as 2006 without finality on the case. And of course, that also has um, implications for children. If you have children that are impacted, you won't be able to um, register their birth when they're born. You won't be able to continue working to support those children. And so then it has um, kind of cascading consequences if it's not resolved within due time. And I don't think it's only just capacity. We all know that there are also problems of um, maladministration. This lack of a transparent process, I think, also opens up the room to a lot of um, corruption because in some instances, clients have been asked to, sure. to pay a bribe in order to you know, quicken up the process. So I think there just needs to be accountability from the department. There needs to be transparency and there needs to be clear processes so that the public can understand what is expected of them. Um, while the department is rendering the services that it has um, a constitutional mandate to render. Tandi Chalkep, thank you. The manager at the Statelessness Unit at Lawyers for Human Rights.